The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. As we continue in our series on the book of Job, we have come to the second round of attacks by Job's miserable comforters, and we're looking at Job's answers to those attacks as well. Today, we're looking at Bildad. In this second round of arguments against Job, Bildad seems to be trying to scare Job into the right kind of repentance. He describes Job as a light put out, He describes him as a traveler who is trapped in a net. He describes him as a criminal who's pursued by the law. He describes him as a tree rooted up. In each case, he says, Job, this is you. This is where you are. Bildad's idea of Christian karma, that every sin requires a one-for-one payment in this life, is designed not to help Job, but to scare Job. And it sounds so much like the preaching we hear in the religious world today. Today, we look at Bildad's attacks and we begin to see Job's answer. And the first answer Job gives focuses upon his own feeble condition, which is a bad thing to focus upon in the midst of struggles. But ultimately, we're going to see that Job had a faithful response. Job had problems, but he knew where his hope lay, and it did not lay within himself. Join us today as we begin to look at Bildad's second attack upon Job and Job's answer to it. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
me, if you will, to Job, the 18th chapter. Job, chapter 18. And we're going to look at chapters 18 and 19 tonight. You may recall that we've been going through the book of Job a little faster lately. We've gotten through the first round of attacks on Job by his three miserable comforter friends. And now we're um, maybe speeding it up just a little bit because the second round of attacks is about the same as the first. But tonight, I kind of think we need to slow it down just a little bit because there are some really special principles in these, in these chapters that I think we don't need to miss. I hope that we can gain some comfort tonight because as Brother Rogers' prayer told us, we're living in a time when there's a lot of fear out there. We're living in a time when there's a lot of people afraid, not just, you know, uh, living in fear of things right around them, but in general of the world and what we're experiencing out there. I, I confess to you that I live often seemingly in an anxious state of mind. I, I feel anxiety as I look around me, as I think about, uh, you know, my little grandchild about to be born into a world that is so much different than the world was when I was a kid. And I know there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new to God, but there's a lot of things new to me that I haven't experienced. And we're seeing that today. You know, I never dreamed we would live in a society that couldn't figure out who's a boy and who's a girl. That gender would be more than just male and female. It would be somehow fluid and I forgot, I remember there was some count made here a while back by some on the, uh, out in the, uh, in the secular world about how many genders there are now. And I, I just have to simplify it, brother buddy. I have to go back to what Jesus said. He said in the beginning, he made them male and female. And, and I was thinking about that coming to church. Isn't it, isn't it, isn't it a precious blessing? to have something that we can anchor our ship to. Because I was listening to the talking heads on TV and on the radio today, and some had this idea about things, and another one had that idea about things, and they kind of matched up, they kind of didn't, but there's evolving thoughts about the economy and about society and all this. But you know, we don't have to worry about that because we can just anchor our ship to the Word of God. It doesn't change. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. <laughs> I'm thankful for that. If it was settled on earth, there might be an earthquake that would unsettle it. But no, my beloved friends, it's settled in heaven. <laughs> so tonight I want to talk to you about some things that involve fear. Because Bildad in chapter 18 begins to attack Job again. And as he's getting harsher and getting more uh, angry, you can tell, his second attack, his second tirade here is primarily about fear. He, he goes into this, he, he answered, let's just look right quick here. We're not going to go through it in detail maybe, but uh, look at chapter 18 and verse 1. Then answered Bildad the Shuhite and said, How long will it be ere ye make an end of words? Mark, and afterwards we will speak. Wherefore are we counted as beasts and reputed vile in your sight? He teareth himself in his anger. Shall the earth be forsaken for thee? And shall the rock be moved out of his place? 
You know, he's just coming in just angry and mad about what Job has been saying. And remember, Job's not got it all right either. Job is mixing some things up as well. He's blaming God for everything that's happening to him. We're going to see that in chapter 19. But we know that it's not God but Satan that's attacking him. But Job didn't know that. And, and I can see where he would get mixed up on that. Remember, to give Job quite a bit of leeway, quite a bit of charity, because he did not have the word of God that we have. Matter of fact, he didn't have the Word of God written, period. Not at least this Word of God that's inspired. His book, his life story was the first book of the Word of God. He was writing the Word of God with his life. And he didn't have the Word of God to run to, you see. Now, as we get to the end of this attack here, basically saying, when are you going to shut up, Job, and let me talk? And he... he Bildad turns to some things, basically considering death and pointing Job toward death. And his overall message has not changed. Job, God always punishes the wicked. He never punishes the righteous. So you must be wicked and the only hope of the wicked is death. That's the only expected end that you can get to when you're wicked. So he begins to compare Job, really, even though he's speaking in third person terms, he begins to compare Job to some things like, for instance, in verse 5, yea, the light of the wicked shall be put out and the spark of his fire shall not shine. The light shall be dark in his tabernacle and his candle shall be put out with him. In other words, Job, you're headed down the path where all the wicked go, which is they're about to become a light put out. They may have some light here, but you're going to be put out. It's, it's going to be put out. Light, you see, is in the Word of God is most often and almost always used to denote life, to, to point you toward the good, toward the life that's in God. Darkness almost always points you toward death. And remember that God is the author of life just like he's the author of light. What did he say? The very first words we read about from God is, let there be light. The Spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the waters, but then God spoke, and that spoken word, by the way, I believe is referencing the capital W word of God, the Son of God, let there be light. Only God can give life and light. Now, I'm not speaking in particular about the preaching of the gospel here, because we understand that the preaching of the gospel, gospel can bring life to light. In other words, it can illuminate that which is already in the heart of a born-again child of God. But I'm speaking in more general terms here uh, about the things that God does, which is He brings life and He brings light. In chapter 17 of Acts, as Paul is standing on Mars Hill there in Athens, he passes by this this idol, all these idols, all of these altars, all over Mars Hill. They were so superstitious. They had an altar to Zeus and Athena and Apollo and all the gods there, even some foreign gods. And just in case they missed one, they had an altar to the unknown God. <laughs> and I love this because it shows the resilience of Paul and the fact that when the Spirit prompts you, you can preach anywhere. You can preach anywhere and use anything as a jumping off point, you know? I wouldn't have necessarily thought about that. I'd have probably walked by that unknown God altar and said, man, that's terrible. 
Let's go over here and talk about it amongst ourselves. Paul saw that as an opportunity to preach the gospel. He said, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you, in verse 23. And then he goes on, and what I wanted to get to tonight is verses 24 and 25 particularly. He said, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needeth anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and if you skip on down to verse 28, we learn that in Him we live and move and have our being. And I know there are many people in the world today that totally ignore that fact. You know, I, I can't even really fathom, certainly can't fathom God's perspective, although He gives us some glimpses of it from time to time. But can you imagine God's perspective? And let's just use someone who is, a, who is a reprobate, an unregenerate, a non-elect, who's not a child of God. Even that person lives and moves and has his being in God, in the sense of the realm that God governs. God is, we're told according to Jesus, he says he's good even to the reprobate. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You know, when the rain starts falling around here, it doesn't just start falling on those that are children of God and leave those that aren't children of God out. In fact, sometimes it falls on the just before it falls on the unjust, uh, on the unjust rather, before it falls upon the just. But you see, God is light. God is the author of light. But notice here what he's saying is, he's saying, and, and really, you've got to also realize these miserable comforter friends weren't great theologians. They thought they were, but they really weren't. I, I detect much Armenian theology here. He's saying, Job, if you're not careful, your light's going to be put out. I don't think they were necessarily just talking about here and now. These miserable comforter friends appear to have had a theology where you could lose your salvation. At the very least, they're taking the position that many in the Calvinist world take today that if you don't live right and persevere in good works you really never were a child of God in the first place <laughs> and that is not the teaching of the word of God and I want to say this to you as plainly as I can child of God you can fall away you cannot fall out of grace but you can fall away from grace he tells the Galatians over there you have fallen from grace What's he mean there? Oh, God couldn't hold on to you. He just lost you. You slipped out of his hand like a slippery eel. Is that what it was? No, that's not what it was. Amen. That's not what it was. What it meant was they've fallen from the teachings of grace. They've fallen from the belief and trust in grace. You, even at this, Brother Roger was mentioning this, this, this evening about how thankful we ought to be for this church. And I am so thankful for this church. I hope we don't ever take it for granted. I don't believe we do, and I don't believe I've gotten to that point yet where I feel like I could. But uh, uh, I know I could, though. I could let things slip. I preached recently from Hebrews chapter 2 about letting things slip. And when you says, it didn't say don't throw things away. He didn't say take heed that you don't throw things away. You know, I'm not going to throw this away. I have no desire to pick this book up and cast it aside, but I sure can let it slip. <laughs> See, that's a different story right there. That's where you just kind of 
Kind of let things slide on by. You just get a little bit negligent over here. And, and next thing you know, you're drifting in the water. And the tin on the beach is 100 yards down, down on the sand. <laughs> and you just kind of drifted away. You didn't mean to, you see. What this Bildad appears to be teaching is that, hey, Job, you, you either never were or you might not be in the future if you're not careful. So he starts scaring him with that, Job. You know, what if somebody came to you and said, you know, you just really must not be a child of God. <laughs> well, that'd be kind of scary. Okay, then he goes on, and I'm not going to read it all, as I said, beginning down in verse uh, 7 through 10. The steps of his strength shall be straightened. His own counsel shall cast him down, for he is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walketh upon a snare. He says that, I am going to read it, the gin shall take him by the heel, the robber shall prevail against him, the snare is laid up for him in the ground and a trap for him by the way. Notice, look at all these terms, scary terms. Job, your light has gone out in your tent. The vision there is of a, the coals burning out and snuff, being snuffed out. Now you're out of your tent, you're walking on the path, and there's a net and a snare and a gin. The word gin there is a bird trap. It's like a noose that springs up when it's touched and it catches you by the heel. Or he said there's a, a net and a snare and a gin and a robber and another type of snare here, which is a rope-like noose on the ground and a trap. All this is in the way and it's coming to get you. <laughs> and then in verses 11 through 15, he says, terror shall make him afraid on every side and shall drive him to his feet. He's talking about the wicked again. His strength shall be hunger hunger bitten and destruction shall be ready at his side it shall devour the strength of his skin even the firstborn of death shall devour his strength his confidence shall be rooted out of his tabernacle and it shall bring him to the king of terrors it shall dwell in his tabernacle because it is none of his brimstone shall be scattered upon his habitation here he's saying all of this light being snuffed out and these traps and snares on the route you're going to be like a criminal that's under pursuit in hot, they're in hot pursuit of you, Job. And ultimately, the king of terrors. What's the, king, what's the thing we fear the most? Ultimately, death. The king of terrors is coming upon you. The idea here is of a man on the run and ultimately caught. How, how much comfort is here? There's no comfort. It's just fear. And then verses 16 through the rest of the chapter. His roots shall be dried up beneath and above shall his branch be cut off. His remembrance shall perish from the earth. He shall have no name in the street. And he goes on to talk about how his, his family, he'll, he'll have neither son nor nephew among his people or any remaining in his dwellings, and how people will make him a byword and a proverb. They'll be astonished at what they see. He said, you're going to be like a tree rooted up. You're going to be like a tree that looks so steadfast and it's going to be turned up. You ever seen the root system of a tree that's been blown down? Boy, I tell you, that you think that tree is strong, and yet now it's blown down. Surely such are the dwellings of the wicked, and this is the place of him that knoweth not God. In other words, Job, this looks a lot like you. You've got a lot to be afraid of, old son. Okay, we got a lot to be afraid of in this world. A lot of stuff out there that's out to get us, but also a lot of stuff that's in here, in our hearts, that's out to get us. If we wanted to, we could live in fear. But what is Job's answer here? And I want to spend the rest of our time on chapter 19. What is Job's answer to Bildad? Then Job answered and said, How long 
Will you vex my soul and break me in pieces with words? These ten times have you reproached me. Ye are not yet, ye are not ashamed that ye make yourselves strange to me. And be it indeed that I have erred, mine error remaineth with myself. What he starts here to focus upon is his own feeble condition. The situation that he's in. And, and that's a place you don't really want to focus if you're trying to overcome fear, is it? But notice he can't help but see what's going on here. They're insulting him. You keep on assaulting me, he says. You keep on insulting me. In verse 4, even if I have sinned, it's my sin and not yours. It's almost like this is not any of your business. This is between me and God. And the truth of the matter is there is certainly a place for us as fellow church members and friends and in fellowship in the kingdom of God to go to one another and exhort one another and admonish one another. If, if, if you see me overtaken in a fault, go to me and restore me. But basically what he's saying here is the truth that we need to remember that ultimately it's between you and God. I can't fix you. You know, you could look at my life and find out a lot of, you could see a lot of problems in my life. But the flip side of that is I could look at your life and see a lot of problems in your life. And that's why Jesus said you need to get the beam out of your eye before you go try to get the moat, which is a little splinter, out of your brother's eye. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J. C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.